When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Well, good morning. How's your Wednesdays going so far? If you're in the Defence Forces, what do you think of this gagging order on criticising policy? Also, a new bog project for the Midlands that hopes to draw thousands of tourists every year. And by the way, fingers crossed and good wishes to all the crew in Burr Castle Domain, which could soon become a World Heritage Site under some big news announced yesterday. Brian Clunan shall be here for DIY. The Westmeath Bachelor Festival is back with an even bigger bang. And why the Portlaoise Panthers are looking for a new home. All on the way between now and 12. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103 powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. So let's see what's on the front pages this morning. Irish Independent, the bearer of bad news. If you are a broadband subscriber, and quite a lot of people are these days, it says a string of telecoms companies are increasing their prices. Air, Vodafone and Three Ireland are announcing increases taking effect in the next two months. So if you're on some of the bundled plans, which might include some TV channels as well as your phone and your broadband, €96 per year extra is what you are looking at. Sky has said many of its 600,000 customers will also experience increases of €52 per year. So, it's inflation on the front of the Irish Independent. Moving to the Irish Daily Star, I saw Hitman who shot my son 15 times. Mum shouted, you scumbag, as Keenahan killer fled. Then on the front of the Irish Times, cross-border programme to include a key 600 million euro A5 upgrade. This also includes upgrades to the Dublin Belfast Rail Service, the Enterprise Service for Star Trek fans. Also funding for the surface of Casement Park. But What's of keen interest here in the Midlands, along with Armagh Observatory, Burr could be home to a World Heritage Site if the castle is accepted. So the funding for that application included in this cross-border announcement yesterday. A tourism story also on the front of the Irish Times where the availability of hotel beds has declined in the last two years because of the war in Ukraine, but also the general increase in people seeking asylum here and the state taking out public contracts. So, according to Fortia Ireland, about 13% of registered tourist accommodation is now tied up by the state. And the head of Fortia Ireland uh, says he recognises and understands why they are needed it's important we welcome people who need international protection. But Paul Kelly also says, from a tourism point of view, we are just flagging the impact of that on the tourism economy because, naturally, there are 
restaurants and bars and all sorts of tourism amenities that rely on actual tourists being in the hotel as opposed to people who do not have the means or the interest in going out to have a pint or go jet skiing by the sea or whatever the uh, trickle-down effect of the tourism would be. Also, Gorthy believed Mexican cartel created Irish hub. Big crime story involving the Sanola drugs cartel, which in the last couple of weeks will be very annoyed by the Gorthy. They observed a number of people, placed them under surveillance here in Ireland, and eventually managed to get a big drugs bust in Cork Port, half a tonne of synthetic drugs believed to be crystal meth. So the Mexicans aren't too happy, it says in slightly different terms. Uh, what else have we got on the front pages? Irish Examiner, 37% fall in Cork drug squad Gorthy. That's a bit ironic after the Mexican story. And final one, the Irish Daily Mail, All-Ireland winning star arrested over assault of boy aged 12. Doesn't say who the star is. His anonymity is protected because there's a child involved. Rather sinister, though, isn't it? Let's go inside the papers and see what's of interest. Here's a heartwarming story. If you've ever had the pain of miscarriage, and unfortunately it is something that a lot of couples experience and do so silently. We are getting a little better at discussing it and comparing notes and supporting each other, but it's still very much a grief that many people keep to themselves. Louise Wernford had 18 miscarriages. But at 48 years of age, and having all but accepted she would never carry a child to full term, she and her husband Mark eventually welcomed a little boy into the world. But they had tried since she was 32 years of age. Mark had a vasectomy previously, so that was one complication. And then she discovered that she had a particular immune system reaction that was not going to allow the embryo, go to full term. And eventually they were able to overcome that using very clever cellular treatment. The technical bit is a bit beyond me. But again, if you're interested, it's in the Irish Independent. After 18 miscarriages, I'd almost given up, it says. Do you know what is sprayed on the food you eat? Because the answer is no. You don't, according to a Trinity College researcher. Dr Edward Straw talks about pesticides, which have to be sprayed on certain foods. And while the active ingredient is usually declared, he says they have in the formulation something called a co-formulant. And this is to help the active ingredient function. But many of these co-formulants are trade secrets and are therefore explicitly protected by EU law. They cannot be declared. And so he's worried if you don't know what the ingredients of a pesticide are, then you can't test those ingredients to see if they are harmful to human health. 
and he argues there's no good reason for keeping these ingredients a secret. Trade secrets or otherwise, the greater good is served through public health. And also, not just human health, how do they affect wildlife, such as bees? And if the bees die out, we all know that story. Irish Times, if you want to read more. Michael McDool, do you remember him? Former Attorney General, former Tónista at one point, and former leader of the Progressive Democrats. He has still taken a keen interest in politics, and in particular referenda over the years, and he is a practising barrister, one of the best legal minds in the country, I think many would agree. And he is not a fan of the proposed amendments to the Constitution, which you shall have the opportunity to vote on in only two weeks, it's only about two weeks away. And he outlines in the Irish Times, has anybody thought what happens when a durable relationship ends? So it's very clear what happens when a marriage ends and there is a period after which you have to, I suppose, make sure the relationship definitely is over. You have some legal loopholes to jump through. You can't just bounce from one relationship into the other in terms of tax claims and benefits and all of that. And he argues we're setting up a very uncertain situation. And I'll just read the final paragraph because it's a very interesting analysis. He says, The bottom line is that these referendums are not necessary to achieve any policy goal. They bring damaging and costly uncertainty into whole swathes of law, from pensions, family law, tax law, migration law, residence law and succession law, to name but a few. So no and no is his position. Now, worth pointing out, the body politic in Ireland is very much yes and yes, whether the government parties, Sinn Féin is yes and yes, and we'll try and hear from as many voices as possible over the next two weeks. For instance, I believe Minister Heather Humphreys will join us next week, but we will hear from Michael McDool as well. Have you heard of the Pleasure Boys? Well, they are all the talk in Northern Ireland because they're a stripper group and they used to have a residency in the Red Cow in Dublin. And anyway, they had a night in Belfast at the Devonish on Saturday last. And they call it the XXL Tour. And these lads run around and they are XXL. I mean, there are many horses will be jealous of them. But... Towards the end of the show, when the ladies present were quite uh, inebriated, shall we say, it's unclear whether the lads invited them on stage or whether they decided to storm the stage themselves. But either way, there are videos doing the rounds that are the talk of Northern Ireland. And it's a very graphic, very graphic outcome. Now, according to their promoter, who's interviewed in the Irish Independent this morning, everything they do is very close to the bone. I presume he means that phrase as it's usually meant. And he says what gets a, a reaction is what the guys are after. But there's no sort of sexual intercourse or anything like that. The guys use baby lotion and they go topless into the crowd to run around the girls. And the baby lotion can easily be mistaken for other substances. <laughs> anyway... He also claims they've been inundated with booking requests ever since their gig in Belfast. 
Ah, look, there's no such thing as bad publicity. If you're not being talked about, that's a problem. Final stories for you. Yesterday, you may have heard Deputy Carol Nolan, the independent TD in Leashoffley, describe how she and her colleagues in the Rural Independence Group would bring forward a private member's bill in the Dáil to try and improve access to GPs, which is, in principle, I think, is something very hard to argue against, that you should have better access to GPs than is the case, especially in rural areas. But even major towns in the Midlands have chronic shortages of doctors. So it was to be put before the Dáil today, this bill. However, the government is going to place a counter. And what exactly the government is going to counter-propose is not exactly clear. It will acknowledge GPs as the backbone of the health system, which is really a meaningless platitude, not going to necessarily translate into more doctors. It also claims that increased funding for GPs introduced under the term of the current government is reflective of GPs being the backbone. So basically, in very simple terms, the government is saying, we're doing all the right things and there's no need for your motion. Do you agree that general practice is fully supported, that we can do no better than we are at the moment? I'm not sure that's the wisest approach politically. Final one for you. If you're a fan of Kin, starring, among others, Sam Keeley, our very own Midlands man, have bad news. According to the Irish Sun, it will never return for a third season because the stars are all out of contract. This is a bloody disaster for RTE. Having stumbled upon a very successful recipe, one that was capturing the interest of uh, viewers in England through the BBC iPlayer, they could have licensed this, they could have uh, syndicated it, they could have made a lot of money, even just here in Ireland domestically through advertising. But for whatever reason, the stars are now all out of contract and therefore they have ends to meet themselves and they've taken on deals and arrangements and other work. So getting them all into alignment again to be available at the same time, not going to happen, according to many of the experts interviewed in the Irish Sun. So kin will be no more. Let's hope not. Now, let's see uh, what temperature we have across the Midlands at the moment. It's a fairly nice 12 degrees today, but just keep in mind, Thursday night and Friday night going to be below freezing. So if you're on the road either of the mornings after that, just allow that bit of extra time for the journey. Midlands Today with the stories beyond the headlines. Midlands 103. If you're planning to travel through Eden Derry in the next few minutes, traffic is awful. For whatever reason, the town is just really, really busy. Uh, so if you can avoid, do, certainly for the next 20 minutes or so. Uh, by the way, I have to say hello to my buddy, Will Jr., who last night I asked if he would fancy a chat with his daddy before bed. And he said, 
No, Daddy, I'm playing Fortnite. And so, very woundedly, I asked if he would rather spend time on the Xbox than time with his dad. And he said, Daddy, Fortnite is life. Hmm. That put me in my place. Now, still on the agenda today... Groups representing military personnel claim new legislation will impose gagging orders on members of the Defence Forces. That's at around 10 to 10. And a little bit later, the Office for the Inspector of Prisons has highlighted a lack of mental health facilities in Port Leash. That it can take up to two years for an inmate to access psychiatric care. Now, is this something you would have much sympathy for? A lot of listeners, I think, will have a very uncharitable view, especially when uh, you've heard so much on this programme about parents of children with autism trying to access supports and how the resources are not available. So where on the picking order, or pecking order even, would prison resources come? We'll talk about that after 11. But on a brighter note, think of the sunnier days and of the tourists coming back to the Midlands. And we have many natural resources that bring people from overseas and indeed across Ireland, the River Shannon being one, the cycle trails in the Schlieve Blooms, and even our bogs. Loch Bora is a huge asset as a heritage and amenity park. But what is a climate house? Well, Minister Pippa Hackett is with us to discuss this project. Minister, good morning. Thank you very much for taking our call. Can you explain the concept? Yeah, I mean, this is part of it. It is really exciting. As you say, I think it captures people's imagination, like what is a climate house in, in, you know, in Offaly, in the Midlands? What does this mean? It's really part of, um, um, we got 10 million euros um, for an EU life project called Peatlands and People in 2020. It's a seven-year project. Um, this was to explore all sorts of aspects of how we sort of connect peatlands to people, um, how we build, you know, restore bogs from this, how we build jobs. And, um, and this is one third strand of this which is um, uh, which is really the development of a um, new visitors destination if you like a visitor centre um, it's going to be based in Ballinhurt Bog which is um, sort of east of um, or sorry yeah east of, of Clonmacnoise um, it's in that sort of whole West Offaly area that really has been impacted by, um, you know, the loss of peace. There's a lot of bogs in that area. And it's really going to be like a showcase to, you know, present innovative, you know, climate solutions. Um, it's going to look at things like um, land use, the circular economy. It's also going to be a venue um, for maybe conference facilities, meetings, performances, uh, mm. areas for people to work. So I think it's going to be like, um, I mean, and people might be familiar with things like um, at the Cliffs of Moher and these sort of visitor centres. This is going to be one, I think, in Offaly, in the Midlands, and it's going to be, I think Offaly and the Midlands are generally shaping up really to be quite the tourist destination into the future. So what do you imagine the experience will be when you walk in there? Well, listen, I suppose that's that's still all in part of the design. But I, you know, I understand there's going to be sort of interactive, um, you know, maybe maybe uh, I suppose background as to what, what the bog is all about, where it's come from, its history and um, its heritage as well, you know, and the industrial history there. So it's a, a learning experience, um, but also it's going to be a venue for people to come and visit. There's going to be I'm sure there's going to be cafes in it and um, people can spend time. They can they can walk around the area. And I suppose what is important 
not just the centre, it's the location of this centre. It's in that, as I said, part of, of the Midlands, part of Offaly in particular, that has been challenged by the, the move away from peat. Um, and there's a wonderful, uh, growing collection of, 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 um, of visitor attractions there. And the whole thing is really about tourism of the future has to be slow. It has to be regenerative. It has to bring people into areas and they want to stay in the area. It's not just come in and out on a bus and go to somewhere else in a different part of the country. So this is going to add to what's already there. You know, we already have the likes of Clan McNoise, we've got Kinsey Castle, Borough Castle, Loch Gore. I mean, the list is quite endless. But there's a lot of development around, um, you know, Shannon Bridge, Bannerher, Ban. that there's groups there that are coming together with ideas. And this hopefully will be another enabler in all of that, you know. So if you come to Shannon Bridge, tell you what, go up to the visitor centre and check it out and spend some time in this part of Offaly. I remember uh, an American family came to stay with us for a night in Clombalogue and they had never seen a bog before and they mm-hmm. were fascinated by it. I brought them down to see it. It would be Ballydermot Bog and he said, you guys burn dirt because yeah. the power station was <laughs> only down the road and yeah. he was yeah. asking, any predators here and, and, and so on and so forth. So what we have on our doorstep we probably see as very ordinary and very everyday. Yes. Would you see this being more for the international market than domestically? Well, quite, possi- quite possibly, but certainly, I mean, urban dwellers in, in Ireland, you know, have never been on peatlands, have never really experienced bog. So, I mean, it is actually a precious resource that, as you say, we're all very familiar with it living in the Midlands and we drive past it all the time. And But certainly, uh, you know, for people who aren't familiar with it, it's, it's fascinating. And I, I think the history of, of how they're formed is fascinating to people. Um, and as I said, how it, you know, supported this country for, for generations is fascinating. So I think there's so much there. I mean, you see even some of the restored bogs, um, you know, some of the, the, the wildlife and the, the biodiversity returning. Um, I think the whole thing is just really, we don't give it credit enough living in the Midlands. And um, I think there's such so much to build on that. Um, so many, so many opportunities. Um, and I think just personally, I'm delighted to see it is coming to County Offaly. Um, I did, have been engaging with peatlands and people, um, the organisation with Board of Mona, Falcha, Ireland on this over the last year or so, you know, really pressing for it to come to Offaly. So I'm just thrilled it is. So, you know, it's, it's, it's at a relatively advanced stage. Like it's going to tender now. It'll hopefully be planning permission during the summer. Um, and just and, to clarify, you know, so is that tender to build or tender to operate? I think I, I'm not too sure, to be honest, Will. I think it's the, the first stage is to come up with the, the plans and then put it in for planning. And then maybe after that, um, I'm not sure of the structure in terms of how, how it works. But yes, I think but the fact presumably that it's going it, to planning it, this summer is good. Yeah, so which department will it fall under? Uh, because I imagine it's still going to be a publicly run facility. Yeah, well, it's obviously on state lands. This is former Board Namona, um, you know, extracted area. So that that is state owned, which I think is good as well. It's good that the state are involved in this. I mean, currently the um, life project is is co-supported by my own Department of Agriculture. It also has partners, you know, Board Namona, the Environmental Protection Agency, um, Department of Housing and Heritage. Um, so there's a number of already state departments involved. Um, that might well continue. I could see some EU funding coming into play again. I mean, climate action, um, delivering for climate, um, is, is, is just the centrepiece now in, in the years and mm. <clears throat> decades ahead. That's where the funding comes from, and I think this fits the bill. Bread and butter politics always comes into this. A few listeners from West Offaly have called to say if there are going to be more cars with visitors for this centre, 
Can we get our potholes filled? Well, look, that all those infrastructure issues are, are important to deal with. I mean, I'd like to think that we could, you know, connect this part of the country a bit more, maybe without the need for cars. Um, you know, if we could do, as I say, more of that sort of slow tourism, if it's cycling or, or you know, more greenways in the area, I think it might facilitate more networks, which okay, would be great to see. Let, let, but, yeah, let's look, be realistic for, for those American tourists, for instance, who are going to well, visit we need this. To keep those American tourists, yeah, I agree. We need to keep them in the area, but fair enough. If they want to bus in to see this, we do need them busing somewhere else in West Offaly to see something else and hopefully staying overnight for a couple of nights. We yes, don't want them and, just coming and in and buses going out. in that part of the county, they'll have some difficulty navigating the roads as they are. So, No, absolutely. Look, we'll have to... Infrastructure is important. And, I mean, you can see it's on the road there between um, Clon McDoys and, and uh, Dune, I think. So it's, it does need, you know, it's not, it's not the, the widest road in the world. But listen, we'd, we'd have to... That which I will have to be looked at. And look, that's all been part of the the site location as well. You know, these are the factors that will be considered in terms of where where, and why it's going there. Yeah, well, that will be a matter for local planners, I suppose, and whatever conditions are imposed if they approve it. Absolutely, Min- yeah. Minister Pippa Hackett, thank you for taking the call. No problem, thank you, bye. Pippa Hackett is a Green Party Senator in County Offaly. She's also Minister of State at the Department of Agriculture. The name you trust with the news you need. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Unless you probably haven't heard much about the Defence Bill of 2023, which is... But this is one where, on the principles of free speech, you might want to pay attention. Or at least that is the view of those groups representing members of the Defence Forces, not just here in Ireland, but also across Europe. The Euromill President Emmanuel Jacob has stressed that under EU law, military personnel are entitled to the same rights and obligations as any other citizen. So what exactly is the concern? Conor King is the representative for RACO. Uh, Connor, you're welcome to the programme. Good morning. Good morning, Will. Can you tell us which section of this uh, proposed legislation you're concerned about and why? Uh, there are a number of sections uh, or heads of bill that we have serious concerns over, Will. Um, this, this was brought to our attention the night before a Cabinet meeting on the 20th of December 2023 without any consultation. Um, ostensibly, the, the bill is is to make law the likes of the associate membership of the Irish Congress of Trade Unions of the the, the Defence Force Representative Associations, and also to provide a statutory underpinning for the new oversight body in the Defence Forces, which was a recommendation of the Independent Review Group. And finally, it was to make other sort of miscellaneous amendments that they describe um, in in the Defence Act. But when we finally got a copy of the bill just before Christmas and it was published in January, uh, we found to our shock that the language in the bill, in some of the bills, uh, particularly in relation to making public comment on matters of government policy, was such that it would make it impossible for us to represent our members adequately in their paying conditions of service, which has been the right that's been enshrined for Defence Forces representative associations since 1990. Yes, you've highlighted that you shall not question or express an opinion on the merits of any policy of the government or a minister of the government or the merits of the objectives of any such policy. But 
aren't there already restrictions on at least rank and file serving members, not just of the Defence Forces, of, of the Gordy as well, speaking outside of the context of a representative group? Yes, there are indeed. Um, we, have, we have social media policies, we have policies in public commentary, but that is why specifically we have representative associations and they've been enshrined in law under the Defence Amendment Act 1990. So our job is to speak for those who cannot speak and we do so without fear or favour knowing up to now at least that we have the legal underpinning and the legal right to do so without fear of punishment. Um, representative associations or representatives of an association shall not make a political or make a, make a public comment on a matter of government policy. That is completely new and it has never been in place before and it is extremely concerning for our members who now see that if this is, if this, if this is enacted into law then the representative representative associations will not be able to do their job and actually effectively advocate for better terms and conditions of service. I'm trying to play devil's advocate on this, by the way, because there is no representative of the department here to explain why they've introduced uh, that type of restriction. Mm -hmm. But obviously they want to maintain discipline. They want to ensure the security of the state is not undermined if, for instance, the army becomes exercised about something how far should that go? Indeed, and, and we've had um, we've had we've had these restrictions or certain restrictions in place since, since well since the foundation of the state. But since representation was brought in, we have always understood and adhered to the the norm really that we can't make a public comment on a political matter, and we have always adhered to that as a PD for us. Um, this goes way further. This is basically making a public statement on a on a matter of government policy. So that you could not question or express an opinion on the merits of any policy of the government or a minister of the government or the merits of the objectives of such policy is the, is the specific wording. And this wording actually appears in the policing bill, the Policing Community and Safety Bill in 2023. But it only applies to the Garda Commissioner, the Police Ombudsman and the Director of Community Safety when they are appearing before committees of the Oireachtas. It does not apply to Garda representative associations. So why it will now all of a sudden apply to Defence Forces Associations uh, is beyond us all. Now, the Department of Defence have come out and said that it is not their intent to, ch to change any of the rights of or obligations of Defence Forces representation or any of the freedoms that we enjoy since 1990 in speaking on behalf of our members. But the question remains is, if that is the case, then why is this, this wording in the, in the legislation and when will it be removed? So if we want to imagine a practical example of you doing your work representing commissioned officers, you might in the past have, let's say in the Naval Service, talked about inadequate numbers of personnel to put ships to sea and some of the, the recruitment challenges around that and perhaps policy uh, changes that might make it more attractive for uh, people to sign up. Would that be allowed? Well, it depends on your interpretation of the wording. Under this wording, a layperson would say that any public statement or comment to question or express an opinion on the merits of any policy of the government. So what's policy of the government? There is pay policy, for example. There is pensions policy. There is health and safety policy. All things that are under the scope of Defence Forces representation and that we've spoken about uh, authoritatively and constructively um, and in a, in a spirit of collaboration since 1990. Uh, we have issues currently with recruitment and retention. Uh, we cer certainly have issues with um, pensions policy. 
We have issues with working time, all of which are current policies of the government that we have to challenge. And we have to challenge in a respectful manner, in a forthright but constructive manner. And we've done so all always. Um, so it's just this, the wording in this legislation does not make sense. And if it is not the intent of the department, which they have said now publicly after our committee appearance yesterday, to restrict or to gag, as some people have described it, representative, representative associations of forces, then all they need to do is remove that language about questioning or expressing an opinion on the merits of any policy of the government. I believe gagging was the term used by Gerard Guinan. Gerard is the General Secretary of PD Fora and uh, indeed an awfully man and he says his organisation, which represents 6,500 personnel, will not countenance simply unconscionable legislation and will fight it in the courts if necessary. He believes the measures are designed to gag or inhibit freedom of speech, undermine confidence and result in diminishing recruitment and retention figures. How unusual would this type of restriction be in the international context? Just before I answer that question, I, I, I was with Jerry yesterday. It was a historic occasion. It's the first time that RACO and PD4 sat side by side in, um, and hopefully the first of many, in an Iraq committee. And we were also joined by the Irish Congress of Trade Unions who talked about extremely dangerous and worrying developments for the wider trade union movement in a, and Irish civil society. And you spoke about Euromill as well. Um, and it, we should not have to go to court to vindicate the rights of our members. There should be consultation at a very, very early stage. And unfortunately, with the department, this has not been the case in a range of issues. Um, so it, it's very important to, to, to note that we have industrial relations machinery that has not been abided by, by the Department of Defence in, in this regard. And if they would only talk to us and ask us about certain legislation is coming in, which is their obligation under Defence Force regulation, then we would not be in the position where we are and we would not have to appeal to the Oireachtas to change legislation as it is moving through the houses. Noted. On the international um, Sorry, context, is this yeah. in any way similar to restrictions in other countries or does it go beyond them? That, that's a very good question. Um, all countries are different, and I'm not an authority on every country, but I have spoken at length to other members um, of Euromil, other member states. Um, for example, the Deutsches Bundeswehr, which is the, the German trade union and association that represents the, the, the German armed forces, the Swedish uh, associations. They all have rights to speak out against government policy, where government policy is causing problems for their members in terms of paying conditions. Some of them go even further, whereby they can have um, members who can run for election, and if they were elected, they would go on some sort of political leave as such. We don't have that in this state. Um, but all of the principles of all member states in the, in the EU who sign up to the European Social Rights um, Charter is that you should be allowed freedom of association, and that any change that actually restricts freedom of association is unconscionable and is abhorrent to all European member states under the European Charter. Um, so Euromill is united on this, and that is why they took the unique step and the historic step of coming to the Oireachtas Committee yesterday to speak on behalf, not only of RACO PD4, but on behalf of all the European military trade unions and associations to state that it is not acceptable for the already restricted rights of any member state or any association 
that um, that looks after armed forces or, or military personnel to actually be weakened. Connor King, we have to leave it there. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Will. Connor King of Racco, which represents commissions officers. Uh, Connor himself is from Athlone originally. Will, could you please mention on your show that I have a newborn baby and I have been trying for the last two weeks to get him seen by a doctor's but I'm told there are no appointments available in the Tullamore area. And I'm wondering what to do. My baby is suffering. I bring them to the hospital. They send me home and I'm none the wiser as to what is wrong with the child. Wow. So do you know of a good doctors in Tullamore or the surrounding area? Somebody who would take on that child. Well, certainly you could contact out of hours, admittedly, uh, the MyDoc service, and then you would have uh, another opinion outside of the emergency department. You could consider, for instance, Emmett Walsh, who is a medical herbalist, and he's based in Blueball, not far from Tullamore. But yes, this shortage of general practitioners is becoming a real headache for a lot of people. <laughs> Love the Midlands? Love Midlands 103. Good morning. Now, still on the agenda today, a new report into mental health treatment in prisons shows multiple favours, uh, failures even, in both Portleash and the Midlands. In some cases, it can take two and a half years to access therapy if you are a prisoner. But I have a feeling not too many listeners are going to feel charitable on this one, especially when resources outside the prison are stretched quite badly as well. Am I wrong? Also, how the Portleash Panthers are searching for a new home. And the Westmeath Bachelor Festival is back for 2024, promising to be, well, not quite the flower but certainly the biggest event of the year in Mullingar. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number, you can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Also, just in a few minutes, you may have heard yesterday about the solar farm proposal for Crooked Wood on a 200-acre farm how Westmeath County Council had rejected it and how the matter is now going before on board Planola. And Dennis Leonard, a local councillor, gave us his perspective why he is opposed to it. There are some comments from listeners in the area that I didn't get to yesterday and I do want to give you a slightly different perspective in a few minutes' time. First, though, The issue of security on public transport has come up many times on this programme and people who in particular might take the train to Dublin sometimes feel a little unsafe, especially if they're on a quiet carriage and there is somebody not too far from them who is clearly drunk, under the influence of drugs and they're looking around to see, well, where are the security personnel? And there has been talk, and it's just talk, of a transport police. The reality is the Gorthy will be perhaps at the next station if needed, but a lot can happen in between. Today we turn our focus not on the passengers, but on the workers, not just on the train, but on the bus as well. And they are represented by Adrian Kane of SIPTU. Adrian, good morning. 
Good morning, Will. And a number of your colleagues, um, a number of the people you represent in the public transport companies have been sharing stories in recent days. Can you give us a flavour of them? Yeah, well, I suppose just to to say that we we conducted a very comprehensive survey of public transport workers across the entire network from Dublin bus, bus air and Irish rail, Lewis, uh, bus air and air coach, go ahead. Um, So it's probably one of the widest surveys that has been conducted amongst the workforce. We got over 600 respondents. Mm. And I suppose the takeaways from that survey was one that Anti-social behaviour is an issue for people, for, for workers either on a daily or a weekly basis and that the majority of people believe that it has got significantly worse over the last 12 months. Um, so yesterday we launched the beginning of a campaign which we're calling Respect Public Transport Workers and, and we've issued a union badge which simply says Respect Transport Workers on it. But coming specifically to your question, we, we had a number of people um, yesterday, um, um, union representatives and and members telling uh, the press that, that the kind of experiences that, that people have had. And they range from, I had a very young woman who drives a bus for Dublin bus, talking about a brick going through um, the, the, the window, um, a bike being flung under, underneath the, uh, underneath the, um, the, the, the bus, a ticket inspector for Lewis being beaten up by five guys, um, another man being punched straight in the face uh, as a bus driver. Um, and can, can I pick out one quote, and I apologise in advance to listeners for how unsettling this will be, but a gentleman didn't have a ticket and the person was going through the process and all of a sudden the individual became completely aggressive and he said, F off away from me or I'll find out where you live and I'll rape your family and kill you. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say, I mean, I, 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 I would be well aware of a lot of incidents, but, but the telling of the stories yesterday um, was, you know, very moving and very unsettling. And the, the, the reality of it is that, I mean, this isn't the general public. It's small minorities. Because I do think that we have a very good culture in this country in terms of, um, you know, one thing always strikes me is people always thank the bus driver as they get off, you yeah. know, um, and it's not something that I've I've seen elsewhere around the world. And but when we were talking yesterday, like we've had many calls for the establishment of a specific um, transport police. And government has consistently has said no. So we're trying to take um, a kind of a different bent this time in terms of a longer term campaign of how we change the culture on public transport. Because it's not there's not many people that that would that have to put up with the abuse that a lot of our members do on a daily or weekly basis. Um, and they shouldn't have to. And it's as simple as that. And what we're trying to do by this campaign, I suppose there's three main asks in it, Will. One is the establishment of, of uh, you know, a more focused policing, uh, increased security. The second is the establishment of a National Transport Advisory Council. And that was to be done in 2009. And it was provided for in legislation. And it was a council to be made up of, of workers' representatives, of senior guardie, of senior politicians, 
um, mm. representatives from, from management and representative of customers uh, of the service right, as well. But to what end, now, Adrian? The Transport Police is easy to imagine the impact of. What would the council do? Well, we, I mean, every day as a union representative, you're involved in negotiations. And I don't want to get bogged down when we look for public transport police and the, the government says no. And I think that body would be very good at saying, we have a problem, how do we resolve it? Because where we have had local engagement, where there have been particularly difficult black spots, um, groups have formed by Gardaí management workers, um, and they, they've they've proved quite effective. You know, Clondalk uh, and Jobstown co- come mm. to mind. So I think so an overarching by having bo- many stakeholders on the council, it will give a louder voice, effectively, would it? Yeah, and I mean, the, the point I, I w- w- would make, and we are going through a transition as a society as well. I mean, there are different types of violence are happening for different reasons. I mean, there's certainly young fellas going mad and, you know, they, 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 and there seems to be very little punishment for some of the, the, the things that they might be involved in. But there's a creeping racial element into it as well. And we're... We're increasingly a multiracial society and we have to be careful how we manage that. And I mean, one thing that would would strike me is, say, within the culture of football, in which you had endemic racism, they've done a lot to get rid of that in terms of, you know, this this campaign that they've had of show racism, the the, the red red card. card, And it has stamped it out a lot. And I think we need that sort of cultural change here with regard to um, public transport. Public transport is a key part of the transition to a more environmentally sustainable uh, economy. And people, I use public transport a lot, um, but you need to, we, we don't need these stories coming out, we need good news stories. But we have to highlight it to ensure that we get that transition. And we need to focus on it, as I say, through I think that body would be really, really important. And we are going to be writing to the Joint Oireachtas Committee tomorrow, looking for a meeting with them with a view to establishing that council as soon as possible. Now, and you, the last you, part, Exactly. Sorry. I was about to say, you mentioned three prongs. So the final yeah. piece of the puzzle is... And, and the last part is we need a transport charter in which that, that there is how people would engage with public transport. And if you don't, that, that then that there are penalties around that. Now, we, we need to develop that again. Um, but that people know what the expectation is. I'd have to say most people's... I'm just uh, going to push back a bit on that in the sense that there's basic decency and there are expectations of societal norms and firing a brick at somebody, threatening their family, is it not self-evident that behaviour is unacceptable but it's happening anyway? So what would the Charter achieve? Well, again, I suppose, you know, we're trying to be a a bit comprehensive and look for that cultural change. But but I don't think it has to be. I mean, I I think what you say is is very self-evident. But to to see that and and people just to say, but that's what's expected. And I mean, the the last part that I would say is that we've produced this this badge, which really goes back to Larkin's badge, in 1913, when, when the, the tram workers came off the strike and, and they were looking for respect to be allowed to join a, a trade union mm. of, of their choice. And the badge is about us taking collective agencies. And hold on a second, have a bit of respect for us. Um, so we, we'll be distributing that to, to our members over, over the coming weeks as well. Adrian, I hope we don't keep having this conversation and that yeah. 
if it's yeah, the transport sure. police or one of the measures that happens first that it has the desired effect I'm also mindful we have talked many times to retailers uh, John Cusack who manages the Brin Centre has been on this programme so often about antisocial behaviour where there is a police presence nearby and whatever has happened in the last couple of decades, something in the water supply has changed and there seems to be a lack of respect where years ago people wouldn't have dared to speak in the way they do, act in the way they do. And it's a probably a deeper societal challenge than just in the area of transport. I don't know what the answer yeah, I- is, though. Yeah, and I think that that's that's fair comment. I mean, there are societal issues that are leading to this, and it's playing out on public transport. You know, so there is that deeper malaise as well. Um, but in in the first place, you know, I like the idea of what what they have done in football, which you know was endem- racism was endemic, and just saying we're not tolerating this anymore. And that's the kind of cultural shift that we need. Um, and I think the elements that I've outlined to you feed into that in terms of how we try and, you know, we, we have to, we, we can do things well in this country if there is focus on it. We got through the pandemic well, and we need that level of focus. Um, and particularly, as I say, we're, we're living in, the country's going through a transition um, in terms of its composition, etc. And we need to get through this together. Uh, and, you know, how people are treated and how workers are treated is very, very important as well. Adrian? Thank you very much for your time this morning. Thanks, Will. Adrian Kane of SIP2. 20 past 10. DIY with Brian Clonan. Next. And now, with thanks to Bright Ideas Lighting, Talbot Avenue at Lone. Building or renovating? They work with you to create a bespoke lighting plan for your home. Brightideas.ie. It's Wednesday, so time to sound the DIY klaxon. As Will brings in the expert for some hot housework action. His physique and profile make all the ladies smile, and his skills bring them ultimate domestic satisfaction. Mr. Fixer's Brian Clunan. Why are you here? I, you might be aware of this. I come in every Wednesday morning. Can we change that? <laughs> By the way, I was looking at a picture of you on the TV screen that you now, the TV cameras you have. Well, not TV, what do you call them? The cameras. Studio cameras. Studio yes. cameras. And uh, I have to say, it's a great camera system because it's very flattering to you. Like, you still look pretty dour on, on screen, but you look really, really dour in real life. Yeah, there's one challenge the cameras have yet to overcome. <laughs> the shine off my forehead, is it? Got there first, <laughs> well done. Full marks, Clinton. <laughs> In case you're wondering, if you're a first-time listener, he is actually here to discuss DIY and to answer some questions. And the first comes from Anne-Marie in Mullingar, who says, We went to use our rattan furniture in the back garden at the weekend, but it's completely covered in green slime. Yet, we were told this is all-weather furniture and you don't need to bring it in for the winter. Must have bought it in Clunans. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> What's the best thing to do with it? Yeah, look, in fairness, every every product that's outside, everything that's outside this year in particular. So this has been, well, depending on your point of view, it is the worst year in years and years for algae, unless you're a hardware shop selling algae killer, in which case it's been the best year in years and years for algae. We'll blame you for but, weather. Then. Um, yeah, look, it won't, the algae won't have any negative effect. If it's an all-weather set, 
that would mean generally that it is a PVC rattan with an aluminium frame. So the aluminium frame is non-rust. The cheaper ones have a steel frame, which you would recommend bringing in a covering for the winter. Um, but but you better bring it in. But the green algae grows in everything. You know, you look at your, your fencing, your... Uh, your patio, your tarmac, your walls, your dashing, it's just everywhere this year. Um, and the good news is you just spray on an algae killer and walk away. That's it. Just spray it on. It will not, the algae killers, the normal algae killers will have no negative effect at all on the rattan, on the frame, on anything. And you just leave it, it'll more or less disappear. But the next heavy shower of rain that God sends down will wash it off. And he's very reliable. He always he always washes it off within a few days or a week at the most. He's very very reliable, especially in Ireland. And especially in Ireland, exactly. Mm. By the way, I was listening earlier to the. I I was happened to be on a on a bus last week in Dublin, and um, there was I, we ended up uh, chatting to an English tourist on the bus, and we're getting off. And when he got off the bus, he says, "I've never seen that before." And I said, "What?" He said, "Everybody said thanks to the bus driver." He'd never seen it before. It's a courtesy. And he says, I travel by bus a lot in, in, at home in mm. England, he said. And uh, look, I know the, 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 the bad behaviour is absolutely horrifying and scary. But I just, I was, uh, I, you know, we all did it. We all just got off the bus. And, and there was a good few youngsters. Like I was with Joy, my daughter. And she said, you know, she said thanks. And, uh, but there was a lot of youngsters got off the bus and said thanks. And likewise, when you're abroad and you're getting off the bus, you can spot the Irish person yeah, 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 because yeah. they say thank you. So <laughs> yeah. like, hey. and, the, and the bus driver kind of looks as though, oh, what was that? Yes. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, an aside. That was a digression. So, um, algae killer, spray it on, leave it, wash it, God mm. will wash it off. Do you know what's really annoying? Let's say you, you, your house, and you have a house next door, a uh, neighbour, and they decide they're going to spray. Oh. <laughs> okay, and yes. then their house is perfect and there's no algae. And then yours is still green. Yeah. Really puts the pressure on. Yeah, I was in... And if you happen to have an industrial unit, let's say a radio station, and oh, the yes. side wall... Is completely covered in algae. Yes, and then the neighbouring unit, and hello to our friends next yes. door. I've noticed the side wall of your, your uh, unit before. Um, yeah, I was in that a housing would be a estate for the operations manager. Yeah. <laughs> I was in a housing estate a while ago, and uh, I was delivering something. And there were four houses in a row, and three of the houses had obviously sprayed off the red algae killer, and the one in the middle, like there was the same weather conditions, everything was the same. The only difference was that somebody had obviously sprayed the red algae killer on the other three houses, and then the one in the middle just looked absolutely awful because it stood out like a sore thumb and maybe you know rented accommodation or empty the house maybe might have been empty for some reason or you just never know what the or just someone living in it who just doesn't care who owns it doesn't care but it looks so so bad and the problem is that the spores when you spray off if you live in in that in the other two two, three houses and you've sprayed off the red algae but because the spores from the middle house if you want to call it are still there and spreading, the red algae will be quicker coming back because it is a contagion that spreads. And uh, those, in spite of the doing the killing off the existing algae, it will come back all the quicker now because the other house hasn't done it. Need a favour. Need a favour. Yes. You, who is very good at saying hello to people and making them feel important. <laughs> Me. So, 
my friend Sheila Ennis and Tracy Ennis, they were in touch because we had a request on Midlands 103 some weeks ago for Bridge Delaney in Pulla. And hello to Christopher and Colin and Alison and Anya and Wesley and Kieran as well. But Bridge was on the toilet when we <laughs> called out the request. What great friends friends Bridge has that they, they phone in this and tell pass that information on. Well, they didn't say whether it was a number one or a number two, <laughs> at least. So we have to say hello to Bridge Delaney again. OK, well, maybe we should actually tell Bridge Delaney that we're going to say hello to her in a few minutes and not be on the toilet when we say hello. So, Bridge, time to stop squatting and come to the radio. <laughs> Job done. DIY Dilemmas sorted with Mr Fixit. Thanks to Bright Ideas Lighting at Talbot Avenue Athlone. Building or renovating, we work with you to create a bespoke lighting plan for your home. Brightideas.ie Brian Clunan is here from Clunan's Hardware in Tullamore until 11. And there's another event you want to mention. No, not an event. No, I just, I have a supplier and they have thousands of medical masks. So surgical type masks. It's the string type where you tie them top and bottom. They have surgical gowns. They have the surgical goggles. They have, um, I'm trying to think what else they have. But here's the thing. They want to give them away. But they want to give them away to a charity or something like that. So if anybody knows of any, it'll probably go to the third world. Mm. But the logistics of getting them there is the next stage. So if anybody knows if they're involved with an African, an Asian, a third world, a Ukrainian, whatever, a charity that would use these masks, etc., they will be supplied FOC once the bona fides of the, the organisation is, is, is cleared. And then it's up to them to, to transport them out there. But if anybody has an interest in it, maybe let the station know or let myself know and we'll put the two people in contact with each other. Okay. Roland Scully, if you're listening, could be... Uh, I've, already, I've already let Roland know. Ah, okay. Yeah. First name that came to mind. Colm in Roscommon asks, if he sprays algae killer on the tarmac, will that kill the moss as well or does he require a separate moss killer? No, it will kill the moss as well. The only difference is... When you're spraying algae, any fine day, so I sprayed algae, actually I meant to check it this morning before I left the house, I sprayed algae Monday afternoon, I'm off on a Monday afternoon, and late Monday afternoon I sprayed the algae, and I'm sure it's all dead now. Um, so I don't you're going see, to check it with a view to what? Just to look at it and see is it all gone. <laughs> um, you wanted to admire your hand. Yes, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. I don't see the house in daylight, you see, at this time of the year, so I, I, sh- I could have looked at it last night with a torch, but I didn't. But anyway... Um, with algae, you spray on a light coating. But with moss, if it's heavy moss, you need to drench it. And any fine day will do the algae. But the problem with the moss is, because the moss holds a lot of water, if it's saturated, so heavy rain yesterday, nice day today, it'll still be saturated from yesterday. So it won't work. So you just need slightly better weather conditions before you apply the moss killer. So a, a windy day yesterday. So a wet day <clears throat> What's this Wednesday? So you could have a rain on, on Monday, wind all day yesterday, but no rain, and a dry day today, it'll probably be fine to do the moss because the moss will have dried out in the wind. But light spray with the algae, drench the, the moss. But the very same stuff does both. Did you get caught short again? <laughs> <laughs> he keeps bringing in his pee bottle. 
It's orange. It's I promise you it's orange. I'm not tasting it. <laughs> Morning, lads. Our 14-year-old was in a friend's house on Pancake Tuesday and her pal made pancakes, which our girl raved about. So last Sunday, she decided to do the same. Great. Unfortunately, she made enough mixture for 12 people and there are three of us in the house. Oh, loads of pancakes. Great. (laughs) No, wait, wait, wait. The end result was she poured the unused pancake, which was over half the mix, down the kitchen sink. right. I have tried supermarket drain-on blocker. I have tried many other magic solutions. None of them have worked. Can Harry Potter come to the rescue? <laughs> no, but hopefully Brian Clooney can. I don't, well, maybe I'm a bit like Harry Potter with the glasses, not the hair. I know, uh, uh, I Harry don't have the hair. hair. He had yeah. a weak head of hair. Yeah. Um, well, look, I suppose the very first thing you'd always try is a bit of boiling water straight down. So boiling water and a plunger, but be careful not to splash boiling water up on yourself with the plunger. Um but failing that, uh, I think you'll need the stronger drain and blocker, which is acid-based. But you have to be very, very careful with it. And you have to be very careful that there's none of the, ori- the other drain and blocker that you try to use. So if you mix two drain and blockers, such as the acid one and a caustic soda-based one, you'll get an explosion. And you do not want an explosion in your kitchen. So Sorry, I thought we were back in Bridge Delaney's house. <laughs> you don't want a, an explosion anywhere in the toilet or the, the kitchen. Um, uh, so I would say try the boiling water and the plunger. That doesn't work. Get the, drain, the acid drainer blocker in your local hardware shop or plumbing shop and just put in very small amounts at a time. I mean, at the beginning, very small. And by which I mean, you know, nearly a capful but just pour in a small amount leave it two minutes see what happens if there's gurgling and so on keep putting in small amounts until you've used about half a bottle and then with any drain and blocker it doesn't matter whether it's the the caustic soda based one the the organic one the sodium hydroxide the uh, sulfuric acid any of those once they break everything down and soften everything up you want to flush everything away so it's a volume flush you need. So sometimes when you tell someone, now you need to wash it away or flush it away, they think that means turn on the tap. Turning on the tap is not going to work. And the analogy I always give is, if you put down half a roll of toilet paper into a toilet bowl and stood with a garden hose for an hour, point, you know, on, pointing this garden hose into the... Yeah. It's, it's never going, going to flush it away. Yeah. So you need a flush. So what you need to do is fill up the sink to its absolute maximum and pull the plug, and maybe have a, a, a bucket of water as well. And in this case, because it's flour and egg and all of that mixed together, hot water is better to flush it away than cold water. So fill up the sink with hot water, fill a bucket full of hot water, and pull the plug and pour. So you have a huge volume of water, and the weight of all that water, it's the weight of the water, it's not just the volume, it's the weight of the water that creates pressure on the, pi- the pipes to flush everything out, and that will work. Next query from Bernie. What seal could we use on a stone-clad house? It's finished like a stone cottage. Five years on, it feels like it's time for a concrete sealer. So what would you recommend? Yeah, so there are lots of different... They're all called water sealer. They're all basically a water-based sealer. Um, It does make a big difference. It makes the stone look better. Um, 
it makes it waterproof, which means you're much, much less likely to get algae growing out in the future. Um, and it makes it waterproof to stop uh, water coming through the stone because brick and stone can become very porous with age. And funny enough, one of the worst things you can do with stone like that is to power wash it because when you power wash something, you do make it more porous. The, the water tends to be so hard on it, it can ab- abrade. It can, it's like using sandpaper on the surface of the stone. And that means it's more porous, more likely to get algae in the future. So when you put out a water seal, it just it does what it says, it seals. And all, nearly every water, every, uh, they call it a water seal because it's water-based. It's really nice stuff to use in that it is milky white, which means you know exactly what you've done but it dries out crystal clear. And the funny thing about it is it's very unusual. Most times we tell people it's really important to allow, you know, 12 hours between coats of paint, even though it's dry in an hour or two, it cures over a longer period of time and it will be much better if, if you're painting the outside of your house, you're far better to do it second coat the following day as opposed to a few hours later if you can. In this particular case, it is essential that the second coat goes on while the first coat is still wet. So it has to go on within a a, a couple of hours at least of the first coat going on. And the other thing that's important is that you, you go up and down. So if you look at a wall, you're going up and down for the first coat, but you're going at a right angle to that over and back with the second coat. And the reason for that in this case in particular is stone is very uneven. And if you do two coats in the same direction, you will probably miss a little bit because of the angle of the stone. Mm. And therefore, that will look different and will will also be more likely to let water in. So a second coat has to go over and back. And if you can, you better use a brush than a roller. But if you're using a roller, use an extra deep pile roller to make sure you're getting plenty of it on. Pete, the plumber, coming back to the pancake mix down the sink, suggests filling the sink with boiling water adding half a pint of bleach, pull the plug, walk away, leave it for 20 minutes before you rinse. Very good. Everything's worth a try. Yep. Now, it's coming up on a quarter to 11. And sometimes a photo really helps in a situation. So next is a problem with a door handle. If you want to WhatsApp the picture to me of any challenge around the house... Here's how you do it. Mr. Fix-It on Midlands 183 with Bright Ideas Lighting, Talbot Avenue, Athlone. Official stockists of Laura Ashley Lighting and Mirrors. See our dedicated Laura Ashley Boutique in store. Brightideas.ie Brian Clunan is here from Clunan's Hardware in Tullamore until 11. After 11, a new report shows multiple failures in mental health treatment in both Portlaoise and the Midlands prisons. But what is the solution? And... To be fair, is the situation all that different outside the prison? Plus, the Portlaoise Panthers are looking for a new home. What sort of greenfield site could house one of the most successful basketball teams in the Midlands? Plus, the West Mees Bachelor Festival is coming back, bigger and better than ever for 2024. Kieran has sent a picture of a door handle, the outside door handle, He says there is a mechanical problem internally where the shaft wears down the handle and it needs replacing every six months or so. Yeah, so look, looking at the handle, I think it's an internal handle on an outside door, maybe, but it shouldn't happen. 
Um, so most handles will go for years without that happening. So is there some reason that the door is under pressure? That is take, it's very hard to turn the, the bar. So you have, you have a lock in the door and you have a square bar that goes through the door and that goes into each of the handles and that's what turns the, the, the bar that, mm. tr- that opens the lock in the first place. So unless, so the bar is very hard, the bar is steel and a lot of the handles have an alloy part in there. Ah. So you might be better going for a different type of handle, one that's slightly more industrial. Um, and there's loads of different ones out there. The stainless steel, they're not expensive, the stainless steel ones, if, it's, if, it's, if the metal is on an alloy part, which I think that one is, um, that would be part of the reason for it. But you'd still so wonder... if there's any sort of resistance it, at all, exactly. if, then if it's, it's going to wear the alloy. Yeah. yeah. So we get all the time, we get somebody who wants to replace... This is in the shop. We get somebody who wants to replace the locks or replace the handles in the door because the door is hard to close, hard to open. And very often, the first thing we always say, hold on, hold on, before you replace anything, open the door. And when the door is hanging in the open position, does the the tongue and the lock go out p- perfectly easily. So the, the, the tongue is the part that locks with the key. Um, and then, sorry, the bolt is, the, does the bolt go in and out and the tongue go in and out? So the bolt is the part that locks with the key and the tongue is the part that goes in with the handle. And if it's all working perfectly well when the door is hanging open, it's nine times out of ten, the door has, is after sagging a little bit on the hinges. The hinges are worn. The, ho- the door now is finding it very hard the tongue is not going in where it was originally designed to go in. It's going in a little bit lower or the door is warped a little bit with the rain and it's, it's not just meeting up correctly. And when they take off the receiver, drop it down a little bit and put the receiver back on again, it all works perfectly. They didn't need a new lock at all. Um, so that could be the case here. It could be a little bit tight because the door has sunk on the hinges. Now, I'm not sure how handy Kieran is, but what, if he's not handy, who would he call? Well, I would say take off the handle and just bring the handle back into wherever, wherever he got it, point it out and say, can I get a better version of this? Mm. But definitely check and see, is the, is the door under pressure and is that the reason for all the wear? Mary has a quick question coming back to algae and moss killers. Moss on the roof slates, what would do the job? Very same. All the moss and algae killers will do that. Uh, a lot of them tend to be the same Look at the dilution rate. Look at the best value you can get for the dilution rate because that's important. And again, with the roof, it is, you're going to a lot of trouble because you have to get somebody up there to do it. So make sure the weather conditions are right. The moss has got to be dry enough to absorb it and you don't want heavy rain in the next in the, uh, 24 hours after you put it on. You don't want heavy rain. It needs to work. And then once the moss has gone brown and crumbly, you can either gently power wash it off and you have to be very careful about power washing your roof not to make it more porous, but a very gentle power washing um, or a stiff brush will take away all the dead moss once it's dead. You, it's very hard to take off when it's alive, but once it's dead, it comes off quite easily. Joe swears by WD-40. He says it will unstiffen any lock, which is generally true, but I imagine if this lock is less than six months old, it shouldn't be stiff to begin with. Well, I don't think it's, it's the handle that's... Sorry, the yeah, handle, yes. It's the handle. So nine times out of ten, I mean, Joe's quite right, great product. But if... If the tongue, if you can imagine, your, you know, the tongue of the lock, the bolt of the lock are going into a square receiver and the, re- the tongue is now dropping and rubbing off the bottom of the receiver because the, the hinge has 
sunk a little bit. So instead of cleanly going into the hole, it's dragging itself across the bottom of this square receiver. And that's meeting resistance and it's putting pressure on it. And then even opening it. So closing it, it's hard. Opening it, it's hard. Because it's dragging off the bottom of something that it's not supposed to be dragging off. So very often just dropping the receiver or moving the receiver out can make such a difference. Marianne Athlone has been told. Has been told, yes. Someone said that if she uses caustic soda to clean the kitchen sink, that when water is then poured in, the caustic soda will go hard like concrete. Will this happen? No. No, definitely not. So once once you dilute... So sometimes people make the mistake when they're using caustic soda as a drainer blocker, they put the crystals straight down the sink without diluting them first. Yes, that, that will be hard to break up because it's in a very confined area. But if you mix caustic soda in a clear bottle, shake it all up, it won't all settle down into the bottom of the clear bottle. So if you're in doubt, do that test and you'll know, you'll, you'll know straight away. So if you use it properly, correct, you don't have to worry. Uh, like I would always say, to, did she say to clear a sink or clean a sink? It sounded like it's, you said clear, clean. It says clean here. Yeah. No, you wouldn't use caustic soda for cleaning a sink. But like one of the things I have to say, just to, if you have a stainless steel sink and you want to clean it, just get a rag or a piece of, piece of kitchen roll and pour some bleach onto it and just rub it all around the sink without washing it off and leave it for a few hours and it'll be absolutely spotless. Um, after a couple of hours. Next question. Uh, I work in a school, says this caller, and one of the toilets is constantly blocked. Should I go for a plumber or drain doctor? And they have done us the favour of sending a picture, which I'm not going to... You can imagine. (laughs) Yes, there's plenty of brown stuff and plenty of... Toilet paper and oh, lovely. there's not a lot of movement. Mm. Well, actually, there are, are lots of movements, but the wrong kind. <laughs> yeah, you see, sometimes if it's constantly blocked, um, unfortunately, that could be how the pipe is meeting the junction. Or it can be that there is a deposit that's very hard to shift of whatever it is. Now, what I mean by that, I mean, it can be grout or adhesive from somebody washing out the tools as they did the tiling. And that's very hard to shift. But it's not. <laughs> it's not. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's causing it's it's wash- causing this. No, no, it's washing out the stools, not the tools. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, look, I would say call the plumber if you don't want to take it on yourself. But it's surprising what... The problem here is that if, 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 it's, if there's a build-up there the best thing to do is remove as much of the build-up out of the bowl as you can from one bowl into the other. Oh, and yeah, then no, 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 this is further down the chain. There you go. If I have to see it, you have to see All it. All right, okay. Um, I would say, well, if it's there is the problem. If it's flowing as far as there, I get this, so what we're looking at there is a manhole with a build-up of toilet paper and so on in it. And so on. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so uh, physically remove as much as you can and then just plunge, plunge, plunge from there and uh, then you can try your, your drainer blocker in the toilet itself. Once, once there's any degree of movement, you can use the drainer blocker in the toilet. And actually there is, I'll tell you what there is, there's a really good toilet plunger. Every school, honestly, should have a toilet plunger. So it's, it's, it's this is exactly the same as a sink plunger, but it's designed 
to fit down into the toilet bowl. But it holds a lot of water, which means it creates a lot of pressure. So it's it's like a two litre bottle that's flexible mm. and it's tapered down. So imagine turning the two litre bottle upside down in the toilet bowl. And the it's, it has, it holds, when you push down on it, it it pushes out all the water that's in it, which would be two, three litres. And it creates, you just keep plunging, plunging, plunging. Get more and more force. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And continue to plunge. And it will do a remarkable job on most toilets without the need for any chemical. So So every... It's a specific toilet plunger. It's a toilet plunger, yeah. Final comment. Niall says, our trick for cleaning a dirty stainless steel sink is to fill it up with boiling water pop in one or two dishwasher tablets, leave for a few hours. You end up with a dirty scum on the top of the water. But when you drain that away, you're left with a shiny, cleany sink. Yeah, I would say it's... Whatever the a cleany Cleany sink. sink. Yeah. I'd say it's the bleach in the, in the dishwasher. Ta- there is a little bit of bleach in the dishwasher tablet. But I've heard that before and it's a great idea. It's also a good thing if you have, a, if you have say, a crystal vase mm. that you know, has that water deposit on it that's hard to get off. The dishwasher tablet does that as well. Why are you still here? Is it up? Time up? Time up. <laughs> Back next Wednesday, 20 past 10. Thanks, Will. Here comes today's Mr Fix-It in association with Bright Ideas Lighting. Talbot Avenue Athlone, your destination for LED bulbs, bespoke lighting for vaulted ceilings and kitchen lighting. Brightideas.ie It's almost 11 o'clock. Time to see the 241 range at Michael Moore, Port Arlington, VW.ie Love the Midlands? Love. Good morning. Now, still on the agenda today, the return of the Westmeath Bachelor Festival, something to look forward to over the August bank holiday weekend. In fact, lots of festivals coming up here in the Midlands. And the Phoenix in Tullamore, only a month away, looking forward to a brand new event. So, things that are on our calendar that we can smile about. That's how we're going to wrap up the programme today. And also, in the meantime, a Midlands basketball club feeling ignored, having to turn children away because they don't have enough space at their home facility. What's the solution? Plus, in Get Active with HearMed, Peter Dunn on his Couch to Marathon Challenge has had a very rough road. And I'd hate to rub it in uh, the wound that I managed to do my half marathon yesterday. So, Peter, you know, you need to catch up here. Anyway, that's coming up in a few minutes' time. But first, serious business. In the Midlands prison in Portlaoise, the C1 left wing is effectively the de facto high support unit for inmates who have mental health challenges. And a new report into their treatment has found multiple failures, not just in the Midlands prison, but in Portlaoise prison as well. And let me just give you one quote from this report describing a prisoner who had a history of inpatient psychiatric treatment, spending 23 hours a day in his cell, scruffy, malodorous and barefoot that he was taking some oral psychotropic medication, which gave him a little bit of relaxation, but also resulted in involuntary movements. He felt nonetheless he had sold his soul, 
that he could communicate with the TV in his cell. He described hearing women's voices. He complained his cell was cold at night and he wanted to be transferred to the Central Mental Hospital. Another person in there said he was homeless, described paranoid beliefs that his toothpaste and his milk were poisoned, that the staff were plotting, and this plot was led by a woman from outside the prison, and it resulted in, in him refusing outdoor exercise for three months. And he wasn't keen to take medication. Burr Brogan is a policy and research manager with Mental Health Reform. Burr, you're welcome to the programme. Thanks very much, Will. Good morning. How was this report carried out? Um, so, I'm, I, thank you so much for highlighting the report, first of all. Um, it, it's really important that we do talk about this across the, the, the different regions, particularly in the regions where there are um, prisons. So, uh, the, there is an inspector of prisons, and in February and March last year, they went around with some um, experts and went visited seven of the 13 prisons to to meet with staff, to meet with the, the mental health staff, to meet with some of the, the men in prison and to see kind of the the conditions in which they were being held. Um, so they submitted the report to the Minister for Justice last August and it was published yesterday alongside an action plan. And I think, you know, we do have to start by saying that that's welcome because often we have these kind of reports um, and we don't know what the actions or the follow-up, you know, is going to be around the recommendations. So it was welcome that while the report is very harrowing reading and, you know, highlights the, the completely unacceptable conditions of, of some people with mental health difficulties, you know, there is an action plan with timelines that we can keep an eye on now to, to hold the government to account. Timelines, I suppose, are noble and uh, ambitious but practicalities can get in the way so one of the first failures and recommendations deals with staffing numbers and the shortage of psychiatrists special mental health nurses occupational therapy staff and other relevant staff but that would be true outside the prison system as well as internally where are these people going to come from yeah, I, and I was listening to you earlier, um, but before the news there, and you were saying, you know, what the, the situation is like outside the, the prison as well. And I think that one of the really important things here in the report is the link between the Department of Justice and the Department of Health. And it's something that we speak to the Department of Health about, you know, for community service as well, you know, how they're interlinked with social protection, employment, housing, education, you know, mental health can't be seen as its own silo, you know, it, 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 it intersects across so many aspects of, of society and life. Um, and that is, is true within the, the, the prison system as well. Um, there is a workforce planning piece in place, but again, it needs to be, uh, when you look at the recommendations, some of them, the Department of Justice, the Irish Prison Service have said, you know, that's not for us, that's not, that's for the Department of Health. So we would like to see um, an immediate reaction to how these things are, are going to be addressed. Um, I know there's, you know, there's um, training courses and, and people wanting to work in the area of mental health services and supports and maybe those pathways 
need to be opened up a bit more. Um, you know, I don't think it's for lack of people wanting to, to work in the areas um, or study in the areas. So, you know, it, it's, it's how we can manage that. And the other thing the report talks about is um, like administrative support and team support which would help with the caseloads of the mental health services and support. So I think there's a way of looking at the workforce planning um, that would make a real difference to people in prisons and in communities on the ground, you know, from, from next week. The report talks about, when you refer to pathways, ensuring that patients receive the right care in the right environment at the right time and that they would Mm. have access to an external psychiatric hospital when necessary. Now, both Mm. the Midlands and Portleash prisons are a stone's throw from the Maryborough unit, which is across in St. Fintan's Hospital, and, you know, a short walking distance, um, not that somebody would be transferred on foot, but they are very close to Portleash Hospital, which again has... Mm. Uh, an acute psychiatric unit. So what might be the obstacles? Is it a cultural piece where there's an unwillingness perhaps to co-locate prisoners within those hospitals where there are patients from outside the justice system? What do you suppose the barriers are? I think it, it comes back to the piece of, you know, why is the person in contact with the criminal justice system at all and at what point did, did that start and at what points could the, the state have intervened with early intervention and prevention services so we know that like you know early screening um, access to talk therapies to GPs um, to, to mental health services and support at the earliest possible stage will have greater results for people for their quality of life for the services, for the people accessing the services. So I think there's a point of, you know, if you think about physical health or, or anything like that, you know, we, we have the, what's the expression, the prevention is better than, than cure. And there isn't the resources been put into the early intervention and prevention pieces for everyone across the sector. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's that piece that we know there could be an investment in and that would make a difference. So, for example, there's a national clinical program in early intervention in psychosis and it's working really well. It's in Cork, um, but that hasn't been rolled out across the, the country. The information that we have would say that for every one euro spent on the national clinical program for early intervention in psychosis, the state saving is around 18 euro. So if there's a clear financial uh, reasoning there for investment in early intervention and prevention, but we're not seeing that being met in the budget each year. Our own target is 10% of the overall health budget, but it has stalled at less than 6%, between 5 and 6% over the last number of years. So there are people who are going to fall through the cracks if they don't have access to the national cl- clinical programs or dual diagnosis, you know, if they have substance misuse issues. So there's there's that element of the community mental health teams, recovery colleges, day hospitals, how much infrastructure can we have at a local community level rather than thinking just about, you know, someone coming into contact with the criminal justice mm. system, the court system, the trauma that that, that, that causes for, for everyone involved, um, even down to the likes of having tenancy sustainment officers um, across local authorities where before someone might experience homelessness, 
that you can come in and get in at that early intervention stage. Leaving aside the economics of it, what would be the benefits in terms of rehabilitation and preventing further criminal behaviour if these resources and connections were in place? And the reason I ask is there will be some listeners who would have a very uncharitable view of resourcing prison psychiatric services, especially at a time when in the wider population there are shortages in the disciplines we've mentioned. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting because I think I, I make that economic point about the return on investment and that's you know, that's something that we're we're trying to do through mental health reform in our interactions with the, the government. Um, but obviously for anyone who's experiencing any sort of mental health difficulty, you know, the, the real cost is is the human cost um of of their their lives, their well being, their families, their communities. So just to say like that that is the most important thing for us. And for our members, it's, it's working with the person and, and trying to support them through their mental health difficulty and their, their recovery. I think if, again, if the interventions were being put in place at an earlier stage and diversions were being put in place at an earlier stage, you would hopefully then decrease the numbers of people needing to access psychiatric care in prisons. And really, people shouldn't people who with severe mental health difficulties should not be in prison. They should be being cared for in appropriate psychiatric inpatient or specialist units. Um, And I think once investment is put into that across the board, across all communities, including across the Midlands and and Port Leash, there would be that access for everybody. You know, so it's the same as having the community supports available. I know the high level task force um, that was established by the Department of Justice, they're looking at the issue of addiction and substance misuse and prison. And again, there's widespread recognition that, you know, if you are um, in active addiction and and misusing substances or, or alcohol, going in and out of the prison system is not helpful for anyone at all. And I would think that like that, people might not have a, a very warm image of, of these kind of things but at the same time is taxpayer money not better spent at the again the early intervention and prevention stages that not only will be better for the person their family their loved ones their communities but also then for the the actual return yeah. on investment again i suppose in the context of the citizens assembly recommendations around the decriminalization of Drugs in small quantities, if there are people going before the criminal justice system at an early stage when perhaps they could be diverted into a programme that would take them out of that drugs trap altogether, that may be economically and socially the better outcome. Um, I'm sure the conversation will continue. Burr, appreciate your time and thank you. Thanks so much, Will. Lovely to speak to you. And you, Burr Grogan of Mental Health reform. Will, I want to compliment Anne-Marie Kelly on her beautiful documentary yesterday. This is from Ina Clinton in Mullingar on the Sightless Cinema, which if you want to hear it again, just check out the podcast section of midlands103.com or indeed it was in our news section yesterday as well, an opportunity to hear the programme one more time. Still on the agenda today, 
Portleash Panthers in search of a new home because despite their successes and all of the young people they're attracting into basketball, they have to turn people away for reasons you shall hear more about in 10 minutes. Disagree? Feel free. Text or WhatsApp Midlands today on 083 30 10 103. Midlands 103. You've heard of Evil Knievel, the guy who allegedly broke every bone in his body? Well, Peter Dunn seems to have torn every muscle in his body on this couch to marathon quest in association with Hearmed. How has he fared this week? I got a fright the other day. I was on Instagram and a picture popped up that said, only 60 days to go until the Manchester Marathon. It scared the life out of me to think it's only 60 days away. But I'm even more scared now because that was five days ago. Get active with Midlands 183. Powered by HearMed Healthcare in the heart of Tullamore. Here when you need us. HearMed.ie Yeah, we're getting very serious now in the training plan. And the only running I did was running to the car in the rain one morning. But I had to remind myself, don't, don't give that injury a reason to come back. So I ended up walking the rest of the way. What's a few raindrops anyways? It'll be fine. So while I'm trying to negotiate one marathon, you'll hear from a local man in a sec who ran 32 of them in 32 days. But first, the training plan is looking a little bit different. A lot of cycling because I'm trying to keep the pressure of my calf muscle. And after a long cycle on Sunday, Colleagan from Physio Central in Tullamore brought me into the Strength and Conditioning Centre in Tullamore for a strength and conditioning class. Cahill tells you exactly what we did. So we just went through a quick warm-up as you were doing kind of with, with the running. Always, any session we're doing really, we'll just go through that. We went through a couple of the exercises that we're doing for the uh, salutes issue we're talking about. Then I just had to set up a small circuit of rower, air bike, and ski machine. We set up a three-minute interval session, 30-second rest. We did two rounds of that on the tree. So we got about 18 minutes in total of workout. We were kind of working at around, what were we saying, about 50% on them, 50 60% roughly what we were aiming for. So we wanted to get the long working a little bit on this one again as you're saying you're kind of missing the running that little bit of speed work at the moment so we said this is kind of crossing over a little bit towards that same sort of setup as a speed run session same intensity rest periods in between mm. how often should you do a session like that Carl? maybe once a week yeah. along with your runs or your cycles or- yeah with, with the runs the general general recommendation would be to work on um, a speed session once a week or once every 10 and 12 days okay. again it's dependent on what distance you're doing what kind of aim you're doing but for marathon training yeah they're saying um, about once a week or if you're doing three to four runs of one of them should be a speed session again depending on your goals time you're setting for some people may vary speed sessions some people might not do a speed session if they're just looking to do to, to finish it or they mightn't do very specific speed sessions for now we're just trying to work with what we have and work around this injury give it a chance to heal and still trying to keep them lungs and the rest of the body working somewhat. So it's myself and my marathon buddy Christopher Cribben who are going to head to Manchester on April 14th and run the Manchester Marathon. So while my training is a little bit different lately, uh, Christopher is still pounding the pavements. So let's check in with him and see how he's doing. Today I was supposed to do my long run. Which is supposed to have been the operative words, but yeah. Um, 
Yeah, long story short, got about two and a half mile in. The arch of my foot, I got an awful pain on it. So thankfully I wasn't too far away from home. So I finished out for four miles, but anyways, a bit of a pain in my foot at the minute. So give it maybe a day or two. I don't know, I might have forgot my insole or something yesterday. I don't know. I haven't had this pain in a long number of years. So I don't know what the story is, but anyways... Other than that, training's going, going all right for me anyway. So, look, can't wait to have you back, lad. Do the company and the long runs and stuff like that. But I hope you're keeping well, bud. Oh, no. Injuries are not only a pain in the injured area, but they're a pain in the... Well, look, you know what. Get well soon, Chrissy. We will be back out on the roads together very, very soon. So as I was saying to you, I'm still trying to tackle my first marathon. And I always wanted to reach out to people from the Midlands who've done it before... But how about 32 of them in 32 days in 32 counties? Well, Mullingar man Jerry Duffy did just that. But in order to get to 32, he had to run us first. That's what I wanted to know about. I went out too fast. And even in mile one, mile two, mile three, I was feeling great. But my body was paying attention to the fact that I was running too fast. I wasn't. But my body was. And it was only in the later miles that my body said, well, wait a second. If you went way too hard, you know, in the first two or three miles there. And now we're kind of going to... Well, you're going to pay for that now, you know, and, and it's all because of that mistake I made. So if I was doing it now again, I definitely would stick to the time. You know, I, I'd, I'd work out what kind of times, relative to time I want to finish in. What does that equate to per mile? And I'd make sure I run that time in mile one and I'd make sure I stick to that time in mile two and three and four. And I guess that's an example of respecting it because it's only in the later miles that all the training we do and all the early pace miles on the day itself it, it all kind of gets us ready for the last six, seven miles. So it's very important, I think, that we do follow the plan, as it were. I guess I've been lucky enough to do lots of them since. I've learned an awful lot. But, you know, it's something I talk about quite a lot is our success index is determined by our effort index. And, you know, if, if I wanted to do a marathon at a particular time that is, is something that's achievable for me, I then need to go and, well, what's the training plan that's going to deliver that time and to follow that training plan? And usually, you know, when, you know, when we have a good coach on board kind of guiding us with these things, I used to typically run a half marathon three to four weeks out as, as part of my kind of, you know, my final training kind of, you know, in, in that period. And I would usually try and go quite hard in that, knowing that I still have that three or four weeks to recover before the big day. And usually that half marathon time, there's usually a good calculation you can do, which will give you an indication of what you're likely to run the marathon in three, four weeks later, assuming the weather conditions are okay and assuming that you feel good on the day. You know, I think for me, that's an important parameter as well. So if that's saying, for example, four hours, not to maybe trying to do it in 3.45 or 3.50, because it's saying four hours for a reason. So there's another example maybe of respecting the challenge itself. To hear a longer version of my chat with Jerry Duffy and the biggest challenges he faced during his 32 marathons in 32 days and the psychology behind what he has done, check out the latest Get Active episode on our podcast section on midlands103.com or wherever you get your podcast. Just type in Get Active with Midlands 103. 
So we're trying our best to raise as much as we can for Barristown Children's Charity. They do incredible work for boys and girls all across the Midlands and all around the country. And we, the people of the Midlands, want to show our appreciation. So if you can donate, it would make a huge difference in the lives of children and families who are coping with serious illness. You can click on midlands103.com right now. You'll find Get Active. The first thing you'll see on our website is Get Active. You can click on that and you can make your donation through iDonate. Get Active with Midlands 183. Powered by HearMed Healthcare in the heart of Tillamore. Here when you need us. HearMed.ie All jokes and slagging aside, I feel so sorry for him. Do you? The frustration of being held back by your own body. But it will heal and some sage advice from Jerry Duffy. And hopefully we will see Peter in Mullingar for the half marathon on the 17th of March. And then onward to the big one in Manchester the following month. Anyway, follow his progress and check out the extended podcast on midlands103.com. The Westmeath Bachelor Festival aims to be the highlight of your August bank holiday weekend and we have much to look forward to over the next couple of months, different events and festivals in the Midlands. But next, the future of basketball in Portlaoise at stake if the Portlaoise Panthers can't find a new home. Love the Midlands? Love Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103 now, to your comments, I've been neglectful of reading these out so far today. A caller from Crookedwood referring to the proposed solar farm over 200 acres says, Well done to all in Crookedwood. Our beautiful landmark areas cannot be destroyed by solar panels. They would be looking out over the lake. And, for instance, in Delvin, there's a really old landmark called Smiling Bess going back to the Victorian era. And now that landmark is earmarked for wind farm activity. So that will spoil the look of the old house, which would be similar to Belvedere House. These wind farms and solar developments should be placed out at sea, says this caller. But not everybody agrees. Another listener says less than 1% of the proposed solar project is located in the high amenity area. It does not go to the lake shore. Furthermore, John Fagan, who is the local farmer, got full planning for a 450 cow dairy farm in early 2020 and there wasn't a squeak out of the local environmentalists. This project is good for the environment and two ecologists who have 50 years' experience between them have proven that the project, if it goes ahead, will bring a net gain for the biodiversity of the area. If we listen to objectors like Councillor Dennis Leonard, nothing will be done and we will miss our targets for renewable energy come 2030. John Fagan himself did contact us, having listened to Dennis Leonard, and he wants to thank his friends and neighbours who have been very supportive, he says, over this solar farm project. There are a number of objectors who have created hysteria and misinformation, he says, and he hopes the facts are heard, not fake news. But he does add it is not appropriate for him or for anybody else to comment on this decision until a decision has been made by onboard Planola. 
So just to clarify that, Westmeath County Council initially decided to refuse planning permission. Mr Fagan is appealing that to onboard Planola. Now, on other issues, antisocial behaviour on public transport. A caller from Tullamore, Mary, says, yes, uh, you mentioned earlier the challenges in the bridge centre, in the town park, in any town or village around the country. It is a problem where people are running around, they are on bikes, and if you call a spade a spade, it is something that needs to be addressed by the Gordhi ethnic minorities or no ethnic minorities. Read into that as you will. Taxi drivers are asking, well, if there's going to be a transport police, where will be the support for us? So it's not just trains and buses that have the difficulty. Well, if Midland counties are interested in tourism, then it would be in our interest to have a motorhome stopover in all major towns. That's an interesting point, and it's one that John Whelan of Van Halla, if you want to follow his blogs about caravanning all over the country and motorhoming, he has made that case particularly along the canals with great amenities in the Midlands, but nowhere to stop that has services. Also regarding the proposed climate centre, which would, in theory, draw visitors from overseas to see how the bogs were used for energy and how they're now the future of so much carbon sequestration. Will, I'm from Shannon Bridge. You can't park a bike in the village, given the rotten curbs and footpaths jutting out into the road. I wait in hope for what Pippa has promised, says Jim in Shannon Bridge. She did mention the roads would need to be upgraded. Regarding prisoner access to psychiatric care, one listener has no time for this. Great to see the craw thumpers on the radio this morning. They need to get their priorities right. Please pass the tissues. And a final comment on that from a listener in Kalahi. Will, it is the government's job to make policies and finance them. It is up to the departments to implement them. If they are not implemented in the departments, heads should roll. But does that happen? Every five years you can dump a politician if they haven't fulfilled their promises to you. That's democracy. But secretaries general of departments and all of the principal officers and the high grades, are they ever moved on? Anyway, as they say, discuss. Text now. 083 The Portleash Panthers Basketball Club has had huge successes in recent years and attracted many young people into the ranks. But they say they're now turning children away because they don't have the facilities they need at St Mary's Hall in Portleash. And they also feel they're being ignored by the county council. Head coach Jack Scully has complained of leaks in the roof and no action to address them. He's been speaking with Midlands 103's own basketball expert, Cameron Clark. And he says the dream would be to get a greenfield site. So we had a double, double header Saturday night where the women's Super League team played a game at six and the men's national team played a game at eight. And um, 
week on week our, our attendances have been growing and growing as the season has gone on and, and, and Saturday night was, was probably it's the biggest crowd I've ever seen in St. Mary's Hall and I'm involved 25 years at this stage like and just the sheer amount of people in the hall caused condensation to come onto the, the metal roof and the metal beams that support the roof and the condensation to have along the walls and inevitably hit the floor and the surface became unplayable uh, halfway through the second quarter of the men's game and uh, just based on past experiences we know that that's one of the only kind of resolutions to it in the short period of time is, is to evacuate the hall and and that's what we did and, and the game actually played behind closed doors um, the rule is that once the game stops you only have 15 minutes to rectify the issue or a walkover is given Like so we felt at the time it was the only decision we could make that could guarantee that the game would be finished so that's what happened You know we've got two things to consider here in that you know one the extra support from the crowd is great you know you're getting those increased numbers and people coming to games and particularly for a sport like basketball you know you like to see the the crowd getting more involved and things like this but you know you can only get so much support before people have to file back out again is there any other way to rectify this in the future? The the solution is that the the roof is wrapped or replaced that is the solution we've had engineers it is a county council building they are the landlord of the building the the hall committee just rent the hall Media and a short-term lease, and uh, the council have sent numerous engineers down and, and got people up to look at the leaks and look, look at the condensation issues, and, and no action has been taken around saying um, the, the, the long-term solution and the only solution to guarantee that the hall is up to standard is that the, the roof is wrapped, and a quote was got for that of a hundred thousand, and we just as a club don't feel we should have to fork that out for a building that we don't own. You know, we 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 don't own; we rent it the same as anyone else. Why should we have to pay for it? And the other big issue is that a town of Port Leash um, doesn't have an indoor facility. You know, just doesn't have it. There's nowhere in town where you can go and play basketball except for St Mary's Hall, and it's it's a hall that was built by the community 50 years ago, and it's a hall that has been neglected over the 50 years. No infrastructure has been has been done to it in the past 20 years. It's it's massively outdated, and we just feel because it's a county council building that. We're just being ignored. We're just, we're just, we're, we're not receiving any support. We've met with every councillor over the last couple of years, we've met with every TD over the last couple of years, and we've been promised the sun, moon, and the stars. And to this day, no action has been taken. The same issues that are happening today were happening ten years ago. There has been no development in this area. And how does um, a hall like that impact the growth of the sport in a town like Port Leash, where you know the Panthers? are doing well this year and you know you're trying to get more people involved in the sport and if you have a hall like you said it's not up to scratch and then you don't have a- any other alternatives for people to play the sport how does it impact how it grows? Hordish Panthers Basketball Club is the fastest growing sports club in this county bar none um, I started playing basketball when I was 10, 25 years ago we had four white teams 40 players in total we have over 600 members now we feel over 40 teams our women's team play in the top level Super League. Our men's team are currently top of the National League. Um, it's massively impacted our, our ability to grow. When you look at the things that's involved to, to make a sports organisation grow and be successful, it's stuff like volunteers, which we have loved, which we have an interest, which we have any amount of. Um, week on week, we're turning kids away at the door because we just can't facilitate the numbers. All of our 40 teams train and play their games out of St. Mary's Hall, a one-court facility. I wouldn't think there's any other sports facility one single sports facility in the country that supports so many teams. Um, so it is absolutely maxed out with capacity at the moment. We can't continue to grow. We have to continue to turn kids away at the door. 
because of, of, of this ongoing issue. Our dream would be given a, a greenfield site and we could build a two-core facility. That is something the county council have time flagged told us they are not going to do. Um, so the only, the only other option is that we develop the current facility that we have into something that is that is reliable. You know, more than anything, like I'm going down to games on a Saturday night and for an indoor sport, I'm checking the weather to make sure it doesn't rain because the leak's in the roof. The, the game I have to be called off. You know, it's just, it, it, it's pretty lateral at this stage, you know. So will you get on to the county council after this latest, latest incident at the weekend? Absolutely. The Hall Committee are in constant contact with the County Council around this weekly contact, flagging these issues. And we've just been led along and pulled along and pulled along and pulled along and pulled along. And no definite plan in place, no time frame in place, no one guaranteeing that this work is going to be done. So we just felt after the game Saturday night and what we had to do Saturday night, be asking 400 sports to leave the hall. It was just it was just the straw that brought the cameras back. We just feel now we have to go public and we have to make people aware of the situation that we're in. And more importantly, the lack of support and lack of meaningful action that's that's been taken that that the county council are are are, are committing to. You know, the, when we first met the council maybe five years ago, they were all very enthusiastic and, and very willing to help. But they met such resilience from the county council part that that they have kind of they've kind of pulled away from us because they can't commit to anything to us because the county council is not willing to meet and the officers that are in charge and and the planners that are in there just don't have a plan for us and. Um, the county councils obviously don't want to be giving us bad news but at the moment that's how we're at we're just in the middle of the road and, and no one seems to be able to tell us what, what's going to happen when it's going to happen and if it ever will happen you know so unfortunately they are left in a bit of a limbo maybe they need a few good men to repair the roof or even a few good bachelors the name you trust with the news you need Midlands Today Midlands 103 not sure how much you'll trust this, but hey, the <clears throat> the Pleasure Boys UK, who went viral after a X-rated performance at the Devonish Complex in Belfast, they are coming to Mullingar for the Westmeath Bachelor Festival. Tom Nally, am I pulling your leg? I hope so, because it's the first I heard of it. <laughs> well, you, Unless somebody's gone and booked something without telling me. <laughs> you would draw a crowd because these boys apparently are the talk of the town in Belfast, but not necessarily oh, we, for the right reasons. Well, we've another crowd that uh, kind of draw a bit of controversy up that end <laughs> the woods too that we'd like to tell you about, but it certainly won't be slipping off the, the clothes. <laughs> So what does a Westmeath bachelor need to do and what attributes should he have? Well, to be honest with you, last year now, um, our Westmeath bachelor was from uh, just outside a moat. A lovely guy. Kieran was absolutely class from start to finish. Real genuine, real down-to-earth guy. Um, has just just salt of the earth and good crack. That's what, what actually won the competition for him. He was real, just easy going, honest, and just great fun. And I think that's what the judges are looking for. They're looking for somebody that's just—it's it, not a—it's not a, 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 a I suppose a talent competition or a looks competition. It's a personality competition, and that's what kind of steals the night. Right. So you're saying really the guys are a bit ugly. <laughs> Some of them are, to be honest. I'd be in that boat myself. <laughs> but look at it. It's, the UK uh, pleasure boys are out then. 
They are out out the window now. I don't think that'll go down well. Um, as some of the judges said, the, the night itself is just pure entertainment from start to finish. So uh, that's what it's about. Now, it's not just the Bachelor Festival, as in selecting the Bachelor. You've grown this over the last few years. And I suppose in the void left behind from Flakyol moving from Mullingar down to Wexford, there's a gap in trying yeah. to bring people into the town, celebrate all that's great in the town. What ideas are you cooking up for this year? So this year we're going from Wednesday the 23rd of July to the bank holiday, the Monday the 5th of August. So it'll be um, over those few days. Um, we hope to eventually get to a full week-long festival. Uh, but from the Wednesday to the bank holiday, we'll have various events throughout the town, community events. We'll have a beef festival, our take on Mardi Gras, which is a Mardi Gar. Um, we'll have tug-of-war, crowd karaoke, um, loads of different things. Lots of the old events like barman's races, we'll have the the, the different pubs um, against each other in the tug-of-war and different things. Just, just good fun and crack on the street. Now, I see mention of MCD and they would be one of the biggest promoters, if not the biggest promoter in the country. And what are they going to bring to the table to make sure that Mullingar draws a crowd? Well, our our own event itself, which is done by the Lakeland Sessions, uh, that'll be the Friday, Saturday and Sunday in the big top tent in Blackhall Car Park. Um, so we've been looking for bigger and bigger backs, acts every year. This year, the Friday night, we're going to have a bachelor barn dance, kind of a hoedown thing with some uh, big country jive bands. Uh, that'll be great crack. It'll be a bit of Garrett Brooks going on. That'll be announced next week. Uh, Saturday night, we have uh, some of the 90s biggest disco hits. And there's a clue in the Saturday night there. There's a famous song, Saturday Night, you might know the a- artist. And then... On Sunday, we've teamed up with MCD, which we're, which we're delighted with. We've been trying to, to uh, team up with the likes of MCD for a long time, and we're finally getting to where we need to be. So our headline act, which is a scoop for Midlands 103, is going to be supported by Gary O'Brien, uh, Fieldsy, um, the Someone Sons, George Murphy, but the big act on the night is the Wolf Tones. Wow. So the, the I thought they were retiring. Tour. No, no, not yet. They're coming to Mullingar first. They said they wouldn't retire without coming to Mullingar. So, Brilliant. Um, that's going to be a big one. Will now, you have the, enough the West... room for them? I mean, the Electric Arena was packed and wedged in Stratford. See, that's the thing. Yeah, like our capacity is under 5,000 and we're going to keep it to that. Um, now, tickets for Wexford sold out in 10 minutes. Um, so we're expecting a massive draw for this. Tickets go on sale this Friday at 10 a.m., um, on westmeadbachelorfestival.com or scope tickets. Um, but we're expecting an absolutely huge draw for this. Um, so it, it'll be a sellout crowd and it will sell out very, very quick. And even the support acts are very strong. We haven't skimped on that. We've gone gone in hard and it's going to be an absolutely epic, epic day and night. There's a lot to look forward to for the rest of us. But for you personally, you run Rochfort's in Mullingar. That's the bread and butter business. Rochford yeah. Superstore. And and I know you've Shane involved as well now, Shane Barkey. And 
at the same time, the the risk is increasing year and year. You're going to bring in these big acts, there's a huge financial commitment. How many pairs of underwear have you got? <laughs> it is a huge. I, I, I'll be honest with you. This this year now is is what we've been kind of building up to, and it has to work this year. We knew we were going to lose money for the first couple of years, and look at with every new business starting, that's what happens. Mm. But along with that, we've got massive support from the people in the town, Westmead County Council, the Gardaí, the business people in the town, the locals. Like the the Bachelor Festival was bread and butter down to the years in the eighties and nineties in Mullingar. It was sponsored by Guinness and various big big outfits. Um, Lindsay Holmes, who's not to name drop, but she's U 2s publicist and she runs Electric Picnic. She has said um, that this will be as big as the Rosa Tralee if we can keep building it. So, I, obviously, on a personal benefit, we're going. We're trying to make a few pound out of it long term, get our money back. But it's going to be huge benefit to the town and a huge benefit to the region. Um, we're we're getting support from Board Falsh and various different areas. So we're just trying to join up all the dots that everybody will get behind. And this could be huge, like as a regional festival for the Midlands. This could be the the second two electric picnic going forward. It's situated in the middle, at the heart of the town. So all the restaurants, all the hotels, all the pubs will benefit. Um, we'll never be as big as the flat. That's, that's the flat is the flat. But we could be a very good hit going forward. So, yes. Um, um, look at Tralee, but not just Tralee. People go to the Kingdom, experience Killarney, Dingle, all that the region has to offer around exactly. that festival time. That's the potential here, and hopefully everybody buys in. And those who benefit as well, the publicans and the hoteliers and the restaurateurs, I know they're going through a rough patch at the moment, but all shoulders to the wheel. Tom, congratulations. Look forward to uh, August Bank Holiday Weekend. Take care. Thanks for all your support, and thanks to Midlands 103. You're brilliant. Our Brilliant. pleasure, our pleasure. Tom Nally of the Westmeath Bachelor Festival bringing the programme to a close today. Thank you, Sinead Hubble, for doing all the hard work. We'll be back on your radio tomorrow morning from nine. Bye-bye. Midlands Today with Bus Erin. Use your TFI Young Adult or Student's Leap Card on board Bus Erin services as part of the Transport for Ireland network. Visit buserin.ie today.